progressive voices and civil dialogue across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host with Charles Goldman joining me today. And we're coming to you from the heart of America's heartland, Des Moines, Iowa. Before I give you a quick rundown on today's program, I want to thank some of our small business partners, including Gateway Marketing Cafe, Des Moines' locally owned and specialty food grocery store. You can now order your groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. Good food, great community. All right, so the uh, lineup today, uh, to wrap up this conversation, we're going to be talking about wood lice and lopers and squirrels, oh my. Yeah, that's our gardening segment. <laughs> what well, are lopers? Lopers. Lopers. Well, you stick around and you'll learn what lopers are. All <laughs> okay. right? We're, we're not going to we're not going to we're not going to give a, give it give it away now, okay? Uh, all right. But really, you don't you don't want lopers. They could they could really make your life problematic, Charles. Okay. All right. But what else is problematic is what uh, what what legislatures are doing to public education. Um, we're also going to talk about capital gains. We're going to talk about the abortion debate heating up at both the state and federal levels. And uh, we're going to kick it off uh, by talking about President Joe Biden's commitment to climate action. Charles, um, what's been coming uh, to the forefront lately, I mean, there was the honeymoon period. There's always the honeymoon, right? Mm -hmm. And Biden getting lots of props for taking some solid action on climate. But uh, then his climate envoy, um, John Kerry, uh, was quoted uh, last week. He said, quote, I am told by scientists that 50% of the reductions we have to make to get to net zero are going to have to come from technologies we don't have yet. And he got a lot of pushback from that from Greta Thunberg. I love Greta's quote. She says, great news. I spoke to Harry Potter and he said he will team up with Gandalf, Sherlock Holmes and the Avengers and get started right away. We can't wait for these so-called um, technological um, innovations. And people are arguing that, well, you know, the, the technologies we need are mature enough right now to get going to that goal in a big way right away. And, you know, even Michael Mann, less flippant than Greta Thunberg, also less entertaining, uh, lamented the, quote, pernicious technophilia that he blames on Bill Gates. Mm -hmm. So your thoughts on that, Charles? Um, uh, John Kerry, is he indicative of a slip in terms of the aggressiveness of the Biden administration on climate action? Or is his approach basically realistic and the best option at this point? Um, well, I think it reflects the political realities in the United States, which is that you have a Senate majority of 51 to 50, one that's less than 10 votes in the House. And it's pretty clear that something is going to have to be compromised to get anything done, because it's pretty clear we also aren't going to see the filibuster uh, completely uh, eviscerated by this this crew at 51 to 50. As, as it should be. I mean, that, the filibuster is the least democratic dimension of our of our political society. Um, but, what, it, but that's to another be, to be perfectly Yeah, to be perfectly honest, it the real drivers toward emerging technologies and, and also more mature use or more widespread use of mature technologies are actually corporate because they have seen the future and the future is not oil and gas. Right. Um, 
Which may be why some, like, like what, a, a huge number of businesses, big businesses, large ones, I think 55 altogether, pressured Biden to do more on climate than mm-hmm. his plan called for. That's correct. Yeah. And that's because, partly because I think they see that climate change is probably not good for their P&L statement, um, but also because they've got, emer- there are technologies ready and available that they are improving upon and could capitalize on. So yeah, there's self-interest there on two levels, I guess. You know, the, the unfortunate thing is, is that um, in terms of the politics of the United States, there's a lot of environmental awareness and uh, refuting of the denialism of the Republican Party among Republican voters, sure. particularly young Republican voters. And, you know, this kind of leaks over into something that, you know, we'll talk about subsequently. Unfortunately, a lot of those young Republican voters have a problem with the stance of the Democratic Party, particularly the left, the progressive part of the Democratic Party in regards to abortion. And that has driven them from pushing the Republicans to a more reasonable position. And and the other thing is, let's face it, 99% of the Republican deniers are denying only because they're getting paid to deny. I would say that 90% of them know exactly what's going on and, sure. and agree with you and others. How, how do those folks sleep at night? How do you sleep at night knowing that you're selling out the planet for a price? How do you know that you're basically a Judas in the era of climate change, you know? Well, I, I, Betraying I, humanity for a price. Because I, I believe some of them feel as though the natural forces that cause climate change overpower anything we can do. So I think that's part of how they sleep. Another group of them <laughs> sleep because, you know, they go to biblical prophecy as to, you know, God saying he right. wasn't going to flood the earth a second time. And the rest of them sleep because they're heavily because, medicated. Well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's how I could ask the same question about how do they sleep with going, you know, bowing before Trump and the big lie. Yeah. Uh, they're just ambitious. And that overrides anything. And yeah. it's sad because this is a time we do need people to govern and lead. As to what do I think about Biden, I think Biden is facing the reality that he's going to have to temper some elements of his program and to well, maybe get some of it through. Do you think he is for being, he think he's sitting there saying, darn, I'm going to have to temper some of the aspects of my program? Or do you think he's saying, you know, as the lifelong moderate that I am, I'm really going to have to cut this back and make sure that I don't overstep bounds with some of my bigger donors? Um, no. No, I think it's it. I, 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 I truly believe it's a political consideration on his part, and that high-profile projects, for instance, like Keystone, that are you know such a, a a rallying point for the more progressive element of the Democratic Party, he would continue to oppose. I, I know you wrote you know about his wavering on Dapple, but. Because that's just not as visible outside of this well, gosh, area. Gosh, sure. I, well, I, I would argue there that Dapple has probably become more visible than Keystone. Keystone certainly was the high-profile pipeline du jour back in the early part of the last uh, decade. But but since uh, I mean, I, you know, I mean, Iowans, the the, the amount of uh, resistance that Iowans put up to to Dapple because was Dapple huge. And then, goes and then it was, through Iowa. Well, but yeah, but, but then it was it was Standing Rock that raised it to not just national but international recognition. Yeah, and and Biden has said, I've always been against the Dakota Access Pipeline. We he's he's been he said he was against it from the beginning. He certainly implied that he was against expanding it. And um, how do you think the the colonial pipeline fiasco helped? 
in terms, you know, in terms of having people see pipelines as good or bad. I don't know. I mean, it's 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 a little baffling to me that I guess I guess what it says to me is I'm going to agree with uh, Thunberg and Mann that Biden is not as sincere about climate action as he as he sometimes says he is, as he pretends to be, and that John Kerry's comment about you know waiting for these new technologies to come along is indicative of the hesitancy that the administration has to really move forward with the kind of aggressive response to climate change demanded by science and demanded by a huge element of Biden's base that I think are going to start saying, well, maybe maybe this guy's not as real on this as we hoped he was, as he was inclined to say he was. Maybe we should believe what we're hearing uh, now and not what came out initially during the honeymoon period. Well, the, there's no question that if you're going to drive everybody, so to speak, to electric cars, you need to rebuild the electric grid and you need better storage because you can't, you can't everybody drive in electric cars with the present capabilities but can, in our can, grid. Can, can we move beyond cars? I mean, I, we'll never move beyond cars entirely, but gosh, when we talk about transportation, it seems like cars and planes are the are the foundation of that. Why shouldn't the uh, why shouldn't the backbone of our transportation infrastructure be light rail, uh, high speed rail between cities, uh, pedestrian travel, bike travel, uh, those sort of things? Because you build sprawling cities that that force people further and further from where they work. The well, let's big, stop doing the that. Big, let's that's stop correct. doing that. The, right. The big change will be that continuing the work at home trend. The problem is you then, of course, see, and you see it here, you you collapse the city centers if everyone works from the suburbs. So there's consequences to all of this. But but I, I really believe that until there's a better storage technology for energy, then we can we can't change as much as we would like. And there's a price for that. We've talked about that before because better battery technology requires lithium. Lithium mining is extremely dirty. But I hear, you know, I hear there's a bunch of it on Mars. <laughs> I'm sure that. And is Mars. No, the real, Chinese are is, making is, off with it all well, right they, now. No, there was a great article <laughs> questioning is, ours, is Mars really ours to exploit just like we exploit every other place we go? I don't know. What do the natives say? Well, <laughs> you know, that's, that's exactly how what happened to the people who came to yeah, North I know. America. I know, I know. Yeah. We pretended like there's nobody here. Well, we saw what happened in the movie Mars Attacks. Maybe that's not far <laughs> from the truth, huh? I love that movie. I come in peace. <laughs> I come in peace. <laughs> All right. Hey, Charles, we got to run to a short break here, uh, folks. Uh, Charles Goldman with me here today. Ed Fallon, your host again on the Fallon Forum. When we come back, we're going to switch gears from climate to abortion. Uh, you know, I hate to have to have this conversation, but the debate is heating up again at the federal level and at the state level. We'll be talking about that when we come back here on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. 
Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham has been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yep, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Thanks for joining us today, folks, and thanks to the uh, local businesses and nonprofits who helped make this program possible. Thanks to Bold Iowa, building rural urban coalitions to address climate change and prevent the abuse of eminent domain. Learn more at boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm in Des Moines, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. More information at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. All right, so, you know, honestly, I never enjoy a conversation about abortion. Uh, it's it's one, of those, one of those issues that just doesn't seem to want to go away. It seems uh, that uh, the Republican Party is grim and determined to make that a pivotal issue in its uh, campaign uh, strategy, but also now as a political football as well. Uh, we're seeing action at the state level and now potentially, well, probably action at the uh, federal level. Charles, uh, Mississippi. Well, <laughs> well, actually, yeah, let's go with what's happening. So right. two of them are probably inconsequential because they're just pandering. Uh, the first is what's going on here in Iowa, which is the attempt by the Republicans to get a referendum onto the ballot in 2024, um, which would say that there is not a, a right in the Iowa Constitution to yeah. abortion because of the activist judges in 2018. Now, just to be, some, to be clear about that, and this may, this may be similar to how some other states do it, but in Iowa, you have to pass a constitutional—the the legislature proposes a constitutional amendment, and then it has to pass again in nec the next General Assembly. So— in one two-year period it passes, then it's got to wait another two-year period to pass mm -hmm. before it comes up for a vote of the people. The right. governor has no say in that. Right. 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 So, but here's my take, for Charles. Mm -hmm. Most people in Iowa, most voters, don't approve of restricting the right to make a choice when it comes to abortion. No, it, more, more, uh, more clearly— they believe there is a right to abortion, but right. the majority of voters Good. in the United States believe that restricted restrictions, reasonable restrictions, are okay. See, I think that you have to be careful with the language. It's absolutely true that, pub, that the public opinion is, when the question is posed, is there a right to abortion or should it be maintained? The answer is yes, by right. about two-thirds. When you change the question to with restrictions or you know something along that line, with some restrictions, then it's a majority for some restrictions. So people are not completely comfortable with the idea, again, because they've been, they've been pummeled with the issue of third trimester abortion. And, you know, the people like Ted Cruz claiming that if, if it was up to the Democrats, they could take a baby at eight months and three weeks and, and, you know, crush its head if the parents didn't want to have 
the child. Ted, but that's yeah. essentially what he's saying. Yeah, Ted Cruz, right. <laughs> we, we, I think we already know from pretty good polling in Iowa that the majority of Iowans would not vote for a, yeah. a total prohibition of abortion, which means this is, this is basically pandering to the base. And if you want to hear about pandering to the base, it's worse in Texas. In Texas, they passed a law which won't last two days in federal court, which doesn't allow the state to restrict abortion, and it's a heartbeat bill. Basically, it says that it, as soon as the heartbeat is is perceptible, abortion cannot be performed. How many weeks is that after conception? Six weeks. Six they, weeks? They, they basically are talking about six weeks. So in Wait, other words, then, before, before women you, may even know they're yeah, pregnant. Before you even know That's you're pregnant. That's correct. Yeah. And that the state can't restrict it, but private citizens can bring suits against doctors and or those women who would pursue abortions to stop the abortion from happening. Now, this won't last two days because if you take it to federal court, federal court is going to say, well, someone else has no standing to interfere in somebody else's right to make their own decisions. Why isn't that more broadly applied to the abortion debate? Which, what do you mean? Well, that, 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 that the standing issue, why, why is it anyone's business but the woman's? Well, the standing issues in the other cases, are, does the state have an interest in, in uh, promoting life? Hmm. So they, the state has felt to have standing, individuals stopping other people from doing it, except perhaps for the biologic father, yeah. really don't have standing. But it, it's just th- these two things are pandering. The more dangerous issue is what's going on at the uh, at Supreme Court. Which uh, is based on that's based right. On if you want to like sort of you know, well, the, yeah, the Gestational Age Act is what it's called in Mississippi, right? And uh, basically, outlawing abortion after 15 weeks, except in and this really gets me quote except in a medical emergency or in the cases of a severe fetal abnormality, okay, but it does not allow for exempt exemptions for rape or incest. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's again, it just it's just amazing amazing to me that. That uh, politicians who claim to want to to claim to represent personal liberty and freedom <laughs> want to uh, invest that much time and effort into interfering with a, a woman's private decision. I, I don't get it. Well, it, it's 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 the same issue with the fundamentalist Christians, who one and the same in in most of these pro life movements, which is that they don't want to have their right to do whatever they do be interfered with, but they want to use the state to force other people to adhere to their religious beliefs. Mm-hmm. And this is one of them. Um, this is this is a pretty dangerous case because it's, it's going at a part of Roe that no one has really gone at before, which is whether the use of fetal viability actually is protected uh, by the Constitution, particularly under the 14th Amendment, which was how the... Roe decision was decided. And, and you know, there's this an interesting history to this because, you know, Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not always a favorite of, of the, the feminist and, and uh, abortion rights movement because she felt that Roe was a bad case decided on a bad precedent and that it should have been decided under other, you know, equal protection uh, precedent, which would have been much harder to, to negate. But what, what this law is saying is, is, is going to challenge, and this is what the decision is going to decide, uh, whether the use of viability to justify the availability of abortion is going to be carried on into the future, particularly as viability is a moving target 
both in terms of defining it yeah. and also in terms of technologies right. that have changed since the time of Roe v. Wade. Well, the other the other moving target is the definition of when life begins. And I, I respect people who have a strong feeling that life begins at conception. I, I respect that. I just what I don't get is why they feel any. Uh, any uh, any 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 reason to be able to impose that on someone else? I mean, it's just like religion. You, you have a religious belief. You, that's great. I'm, I'm I, I support all sorts of people with uh, with different religious beliefs, but they have no right to impose that on somebody. We we seem to recognize that in our constitution and uh, as a kind of kind of a commonly accepted practice. Well, not entirely. Well, no, no, because <laughs> because the the politics of the present day United States has flipped religious freedom on its head. Right? I mean, what was, what was the First Amendment's guarantee? Separation. To keep the state yes. out of yes. practice of religion. Right, right. And but what, what's yeah. going on now is to get the state actually into setting up a state religion, which is going to be Christianity as Protestant fundamentalists practice it, and to some degree as Catholics practice it. Although, let's, let's be honest, a lot of, other than the issue of abortion, they do not agree, and they do not um, you know, Catholics were, were the targets in this country through much right. of the 1800s. And, and the Catholic Church tends to go a lot further in terms of its definition of what it means to protect life. At That's least, correct. It includes, it includes things like, yeah, there, exactly. Opposition to the death right. penalty. We understand that the quote, pro-life war. movement is not truly a pro-life movement. It's just a, it's a pro-fetus movement. But I think, I think it's a very convenient um, movement for the Republican Party, even those in the party that maybe have, you know, less strong personal feelings about it. It's, it's, you know, there's, there's never going to, a thousand years, Charles, from now, you and I, if we're still alive, could be sitting here debating when life begins. Well, <laughs> of know? course. The, 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 that, that debate neither will never religion, end. Neither religion nor science can answer that question. Right. And it, 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 the question is, if, if, the, if this case leads to essentially the, the removal of viability as the criteria, then what's left to Roe v. Wade? And then yeah. do we return to a state-by-state state case, or yeah. could it be worse? Okay, so do we return to a situation where life is defined as being at conception, and then the, yeah. then the abortion would be illegal in every state? And remember how that went uh, 50 years ago. Well, and yeah. also, yeah. but there'd be huge consequences to saying a life begins at conception, because sure. then it, you have all this issue with, okay, if you don't get appropriate prenatal care, are you committing murder, you know, and, right. and that's already gone, that's yeah. gone on in other pla in places in the South. So the uh, Supreme Court has agreed to hear this Mississippi case, the uh, the Gestational Age Act, and they'll probably rule on it uh, next year, 2022. Correct. But given the makeup of the court, I mean, it's, it's almost, it's hard for me to imagine they're not going to basically, basically rule against Roe v. Wade. Okay. There's, there's two things I would say. Number one is that while it really sounds good for the Republicans to say we're against Roe v. Wade, if you're the party that generates the uh, overturning of Roe v. Wade, you know, in the short term you may win elections. In the long term, you will not. Right. Okay. That's one issue. And, and believe me, because the, people, Supreme, people, the Supreme Court justices are aware of that. Number two is... The three liberal, the the three liberal justices, filed no dissent to hearing the case, which says that they may know about the internal politics of the court, which means basically Roberts and um, Alito. Not Alito, no, no, no. I mean, 
uh, Roberts and Kavanaugh are the swing votes. Okay, and, and Breyer, uh, <laughs> who really needs to just step down <laughs> well, no, as no, soon no, as no, possible. No, but, no, but yeah. I mean, Breyer is one of the three. And, sure, I know, and but, but he's know also about 82 Supreme years old. Court say <laughs> that if, if, if they really were sure it's going to go 6-3, then they would not have let this go without a dissent. Yeah, again, I, again, I'm getting into a different conversation, but uh, we need to make sure that, well, we. Breyer needs to make the right decision and say, okay, it's time for me to retire while there's a president who might be empathetic to appointing somebody reasonably similar to my perspective. In I, other would, words, I would agree. In other words, we don't want yeah. him to be, uh, we don't want another Ginsburg right. situation. I mean, exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah. Oh, so hey, we've got to take a short break here, Charles. And when we come back, folks, uh, Charles is going to stick with us. We're going to be uh, talking about capital gains taxes, a big part of Biden's plan. Good idea, bad idea. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Finley. You can also enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates, too. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Back to the Fallon Forum. Hey, thanks to uh, Story County Veterinary Clinic and Dr. Kim Holding for uh, helping to sponsor this program. Uh, Kim has been uh, caring for all manners of creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. You can learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page or by giving Dr. Holding a call at 515-232-8766. This is Ed Fallon, folks. With me today, uh, Charles Goldman. Our resident expert on everything, including taxes. Uh, <laughs> That's right. So, um, yeah, a big part of Biden's plan, how is he going to fund everything he wants to do? Well, part of it is capital gains tax, increasing it from 20% to 40%, uh, specifically for those earning over a million bucks. Uh, so even those lower-end capital gains beneficiaries aren't going to see any any increase. Um, the uh, there, there are critics, of course, of the idea. The uh, Center for American Progress says, and I quote, in an era of profound inequality, few issues illustrate such stark differences in economic priorities as capital gains taxes. Capital gains accrue over overwhelmingly to the wealthy and receive favorable tax treatment in several ways. That's a group that I have some respect for, Center for American Progress. Mm -hmm. Charles, what's your take on the uh, capital gains tax? Okay, well, first of all, I... You're not going to win this issue by saying they're increasing capital gains from 20% to 40%. What the plan is, is that capital gains will not get any preference. They will be taxed as income. And the highest rate that Biden wants to put in place is 37 and a half. That's what it used to be before the tax cut, the Trump tax cut. I thought tax. it was 39 point something, but yeah. It, well, it, it, 
if you're over a million dollars, there's an additional 3.8% okay. levy for the uh, ACA. Okay. So it's not that it's actually doubling capital gains taxes. It's removing the preference that capital gains were given to not be considered income. So the other thing is that the benefits of that preference accrue overwhelmingly. 75% of the capital gains preferences are taken by people with incomes over a million dollars. Yeah. It is not particularly important to anybody who doesn't earn more than a million dollars with the exception of one arena, which is capital gains on the sale of a house. Capital gains on the sale of a house, you, you have a presently a $500,000 exclusion before the capital gains you know, taxes right. then start, which would become your income tax rate. Well, your income tax rate, in, for most people, your marginal rate is going to be lower than the present capital gains. And also the exclusion should be raised because it, it, it dates back to 1980-something. Just for inflation, it should be somewhere around 800000 to a $1 million at this point. And, you know, especially with the accruing, with the fact that, you know, real estate's red hot right now, that probably needs to be done to keep it from affecting lower income. But yeah, the, well, and it depends on the market, too. There are some places in the U.S. where, you know, a million bucks doesn't get you that much of a house. <laughs> well, no, no. <laughs> you know, there's a point at which— you, Which is crazy. But, but there's a point at which, you, sh- you know, your house—if you, if you have a house that's 300—that's $3 million— you know, you shouldn't be giving all of the, whatever that sale price gain is. And the thing is that there isn't any economic basis for giving capital gain preferences. The history of capital gains goes back almost exactly 100 years. It goes back to when, after World War One, in order to not have the, the income tax overthrown by conservative legislators in the early part of the 1920s, mm-hmm. they came up with this SOP to basically rich people. Who were the investors back then? The investors were a bunch of rich people who were speculating in the market. And some of these never change. Right. And and what how did they justify that they should get capital gains preferences? You know, they said, Well, we're protecting uh the war bondholders, many of whom were people of relatively modest means, uh, the farmers and people who want to sell their house. Wow, what a, a unique argument. We're still hearing that argument a hundred years from now, right? Today, well, that's I, the same argument why capital gains shouldn't be changed. Okay, we have 100 years of experience. Economic research clearly shows capital gains rates, first of all, have gone up and down over the 100 years. They have absolutely no effect on economic activity. They have no effect on people's ability. You mean mean like trickle-down economics? There's nothing. They do nothing. And all they have done, in fact, all you do by preferring certain forms of, 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 of activity as capital gains is drive bubbles in those areas. Okay, if... Why are we giving people who are trading stocks and selling houses preference over people's dividends to people's interest from their savings account to royalties? It was never economically defensible. It was always a sop to the rich, and it's still a sop to the rich, and so it needs to go. So Okay, so you agree agree with Biden. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Here's my question. Why didn't previous Democratic presidents, Obama comes to mind, Bill Clinton comes to mind, why didn't previous Democratic presidents— Make a serious attempt at the same same proposal. It, it, it's got. I mean, there aren't too many people who think this is a bad idea. Yeah, I don't know because they they have again allowed the messaging of the of the of those like you know the the Grover Norquist, the whole anti tax you know part of the American polity, 
to make this issue the same issue they, they made it in 1921. This was never about helping the middle class. This was always about helping the rich. And, it, and what was the result? 1921, they passed the capital gains tax because they didn't want their wealth frozen. They wanted to be able to make transactions freely on the stock market without paying taxes. What happened? It caused The Great Depression. No. <laughs> no, it caused the Great Depression. Every time that you give preferences that drive people to capital gains, right. and real estate gets capital gains preferences too, you create bubbles. And yeah. those bubbles create malinvestment, and this is where you end up. There is nothing about the stock market that is advantageous to this country at this point. It is financialized. It is a business of nothing but moving numbers from one side of a computer to another. Right. And we overrate but, the importance of the stock okay, market. Okay, so here's my question. Uh, we know this. Uh, I, I believe that Joe Biden knows this. Mm -hmm. um, probably, Obama, probably Obama and Clinton knew this, but they didn't do it because there's. It's not. It's not just the messaging that the Republicans have been successful. It's the fact at. that they take a lot of money from Wall Street firms. Oh yeah, too. that's it. That's the biggest reason. Is and that's there, that's exactly what happened because you know who was the biggest enemy to the Wall Streeters and how it it, it persisted past World War II? Donald Trump? No. I mean, Franklin Roosevelt. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah, Franklin Roosevelt. And, yes. and so what did they do? The Wall Street, the president of the New York Stock Exchange used to go down to D.C. every week, sit outside the hearings for the financial committee in the Senate, and he would just sit there and wait for some of these people, you know, some of these members to come out, and he'd say, how can I help you? And what do you need, you know? Meaning and he'd go back to New York, get $50,000 in cash, bring it back down, and hand them this money. It was totally illegal. Everybody knew it was illegal. This is, they've always paid for these preferences. And, yeah. you know, oddly enough, you know who they paid for these preferences in the 1930s? The Dixiecrats, the Democrats from right. the southern states, because the southern states, you know, the, the, the representatives from the southern states understood that white privilege and the interests of the wealthy are always the same in this country. Mm. So stop being, you know, stop being misled that, you know, the capital gains is here for the middle class. It's here for you. It's not. It's here for rich people. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, and same with the inheritance tax. Right. Well, they're, they're, they're all the same. In fact, you know what? The, you know, even we talk about the inheritance tax so much. The capital gains preference. You know what it allows? It allows you to pass right to your kids. To your kids, to... you can you, you take these assets, you give them to your kids, and you never pay taxes on. Them. Why? Because the basis of that asset is reset to what it was when you passed it on. So here's the big political question. Is Biden strong enough? Is there there is, an, is there enough support for his agenda? in the U.S. Senate, in the U.S. House, for him to stand by his proposal, or is it going to get shot down, weakened, or even canceled altogether? Um, I, I would say it, it is in the House, because I think the progressives in the House are stronger. Interestingly, it may be in the Senate, because the reaction of the market has been pretty indifferent to this. So even the rich folks who would pay more under the Biden capital gains proposal aren't fighting back. Is that what you're saying? They don't appear to be. What's wrong with them? Does <laughs> well, so one of the rich not fight back? <laughs> well, because they have other preferences, you know, such as carried interest, and and also, um, it it you know it turns out that this won't be that big a windfall anyway. Capital gains, you know, capital gains represents about eight percent of the federal well, revenue. It better be a big enough windfall for Biden to pay for some of his agenda. Okay, well, that's a good argument, except, you know what, uh, and it's the same with cor corporate taxes. 
corporate taxes make up about the same as capital gains do. Um, and of course, the argument against that is, well, you can't tax corporations. They'll just pass it on to well, the consumer. Well, the argument against raising corporate taxes is it's probably not going to do anything, you know, because they never pay what the tax is anyway. Yeah, so this goes after the individual. The capital gains tax goes after the individual. Well, that's correct. Right. And, and that course, is uh, much more, income tax is much more likely to generate revenue. So I think that this would be much more likely to generate revenue. But you are getting back to a question of there's only so much you can extract through capital gains reform and corporate tax reform that the majority of revenue in this country is extracted as either payroll taxes mm. or they're extracted as income taxes for people between 100000 to about $450,000 in income. Mm. And the reason that is is those people don't have – they don't have the tax preferences the rich do. Right. And that's actually where most of the money – I think they pay about two-thirds of the money of income uh, – that, that's income tax revenues from that one economic – that one income class. Yeah. And those people are probably going to end up paying more money no matter what President Biden says. Right. All right. Well, um, interesting conversation. We'll see where that goes. Uh, again, Charles Goldman with me here, folks, today on the Fallon Forum. Uh, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, Kathy Burns is going to join us. We're going to have a threesome as we talk about public education under attack. I think we'll just have a three-way conversation. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. Three-way conversation. Yeah. Okay. Charles, you're a silly man, and we're going to a break. Back in a minute, folks. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market. Good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures, great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks. Say again, thanks to our local business partners in the Des Moines Metro, including Architecture by Synthesis, where Mark Clipsham offers planning, design, and design-build services to high-performance, low-maintenance homes and buildings. Architecture by Synthesis specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from grain bins. That's Architecture by Synthesis. All right, so... Um, Education, public education, has been under attack across the U.S. for a long time. Uh, I mean, we know uh, private industry would love to get a hold of this huge pot of money. I want to say a, close to a trillion dollars worth of potential financial gain. And, um, you know, there are forces that are more ideological that also have, have opposition to public education. And we have seen under the uh, growing power of Republican legislatures um, renewed attacks on our public schools, including here in Iowa. So joining uh, Charles Goldman and myself, Ed Fallon, for this conversation is uh, former teacher, Kathy Burns. And uh, 
We could look at any state in the union right now, any any red state. But um, taking a look at Iowa. Um, <laughs> so the uh, at the very last minute in a session that had already gone three weeks long, the legislature decided to preempt local authority and require that uh, that. that that, that prohibit, I should say, prohibit school boards or buildings in school districts from allowing, uh, from requiring masks. And into that bill, they threw a requirement that the Pledge of Allegiance must be said. So, you know, I just, uh, I don't know about you guys, but to me, the hypocrisy of saying, we're for freedom of, uh, freedom of speech, we're for uh, local control, um, we're going we're gonna to take away one thing here and then require something else there, I don't see how voters can avoid seeing the hypocrisy of that. You know, we talked a long time ago about the Pledge of Allegiance, and I, I don't get <laughs> why people don't understand the history of the Pledge of Allegiance. The Pledge of Allegiance initially was a cereal company's contest, and really, in the nineteen yeah, in the nineteen thirties, you know how uh, the, the children stood for the Pledge of Allegiance. Basically, they extended their right hand in what looks a lot like the Nazi salute. Um, so the, you know, the, the hand over the heart was not the original uh, uh, gesture. Then the under God issue gets added in the 50s because of our fight against godless communism. Right. Uh, you know, this is just another one of these worthless social issues that the Republicans, you know, mistake for actually governing. Governing is about solving problems, not, you know, looking, you know, taking something that was written in the 1920s and trying to continue to force people to say it like it makes a difference. I just want people to know, too, that Charles is talking a lot about the 1920s and the 1930s. He's not 100 years old, as some people might be inclined to believe right now. But. Well, but I think that's the problem in the United States is people, you know, we have a generation for whom 9-11 is when history started, yeah, yeah. you know, and this country has a long history with many of these things. But, you, you know, people are being, they're being distracted by these social issues that it's, the mask mandate, it's two weeks before the end of the school year. Ten days, actually. Right. Yeah. Who cares? Yeah. You know? <laughs> the part that gets me about requiring a pledge to be recited every day, and it doesn't require the students to say it with, but they have to stand and then they have to look at a flag or something. The flag has to be present in the room. The, originally, when COVID came, uh, Iowa talked about mask mandates in schools, and, and the question was, well, can we enforce that? You know, is that is that is that a, a reasonable thing to to require kids to do? And now they're saying they're required to listen to a pledge of allegiance every day. So there's mixed messages. Well, and the, and the bill does say, and I quote, they, they can't force you to recite well, it. Well, it says, "quote A student shall not and be compelled." That has to be in there because that's yeah. this is another right. issue yeah, yeah, that would have been taken to yeah. court. It's already been decided mm -hmm. that people, for instance, who are atheists, do not have to stand or say anything you know, to, to recite the pledge because it says under God and they don't believe in God. So. If they're using the under God part, can't that be definitely, uh, you know, separation of church and state right there, an infraction of that? That to me is indoctrination. Yeah. No, that that's not, it, the, it, it, it's only been brought up as an issue with non-belief in God because it doesn't specify who's God. It doesn't say Jesus. You know, that's, that's, coming, that's coming, Charles. That's coming, Charles. Yeah. So, hey, here's what, you know, what bugs me about this is the, 
in Iowa. Because you can make the same argument on our money. Well, we should burn our money because it says, you know, <laughs> God we trust. Well, some people do burn their money. <laughs> some days I think I should. Um, no, the, um, the, uh, in Iowa, and this is probably true of other states, you, um, you, 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 most of the authority on how schools are managed is at the local level, the yep. district level. You elect members of the school board. They decide most of what happens in those schools. And so, you know, the, and the legislature here, and particularly the Republican Party, say they support that. Mm -hmm. They say they support letting local school districts make these calls. And yet, when something happens they don't like, they come in and push it around. They, can, they come away and take away that authority. That's what bugs me. I follow with great interest on Facebook some of my former students. Many of them are parents of children who are in school now. And they had many great discussions on their posts about the meetings that they attended, listened to, contributed to about the mask mandate and whether or not to keep it through the end of the school year. What, whichever way school districts decided, that should have been respected. They spent time, they spent effort, and uh, now it changes things in the la at the last minute for kids who only had a few days of school left, maybe a couple of dozen. It was a, it was a slap in the face, to, mm -hmm. as you said, Ed, to local control, and also to the parents who, and the teachers who put in the time to discuss it. And we also see the extent to which the, uh, the, our, our Republican governor is pushing back against uh, the, the superintendent at one of, I mean, I have Iowa's largest school district is Des Moines. Actually, Des Moines is the largest school district by a factor of two, I believe. Mm -hmm. Also the poorest school district. Also the most racially diverse school district. And you have a, a superintendent who made some decisions with the support of this bo his board uh, regarding online learning, regarding masks and uh, social distancing. And the governor, Governor Reynolds, was so furious about that that she is finding ways of trying to get him uh, dis, dis, you know, uh, what's not, the word's not disbarred. Okay, um, but here, you know, you're falling, you're falling for what we do all the time. This is a sideshow. These are all sideshows. The, 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 the main, you know, the, the center ring show here was the legislation regarding charter schools and funding of charter right. schools and the change in open enrollment. Good point. Okay. So, yeah, I mean, let's, why don't we talk about issues that matter instead of getting... Because, yeah, more charter schools means less money for public education. Right. And charter schools are going to be either those that rich kids can afford or that, you know, people with a religious preference will attend. Right. I mean, in some sense, you know, the charter school does fit with the idea of personal responsibility to educate your children. But it, it does, as you say, have a tendency to divert resources um, to you know, oftentimes religious schools. And there's very little control over what's taught in them. Yeah. There's no control over what's taught in them, in fact, because there's really the, the local school boards will have no yeah. real say in, in the uh, creation of these schools. I, I agree with you about focusing on what uh, the, the bigger picture. And I would say that that reg regard the pledge as well. I'm, you know, I, to me, the, the Pledge of Allegiance is, okay, it's just kind of a, it's kind of a rah, rah, go my team sort of thing, whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a lot of enthusiasm for it. I, don't get, a, I go, don't get upset about it. I don't really care what happens with it. I don't think local you know, school districts should be forced to say it, but I don't if teachers want to say it or the parents want to say it, go for it. I get upset about it because it says, I pledge allegiance and you're 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 telling kids that they should pledge to be subordinate to a higher 
to a higher authority, which is a piece of cloth. Well, the, and the no, and the republic for which it stands. But the cloth is symbolic of a communal identity. You know, they're they're being asked to swear a pledge of allegiance to. Yeah. To an ideology, and and you know, I I just I just think it's an infraction on so many levels. I I I, I mean, I see your point, but it's like you know, it's, it's just like Jewish people who get all upset because there's some prayer at the beginning of a meeting, you know, that mentions Jesus. It's like. Jesus was Jewish. Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's like to, to me, it's just suck it up. I mean, this is really this. This is how we get distracted away from what's really going on. So, what's the real the real problem with the real challenge that public education is facing right now? Do you think it's charter schools? I think charter schools. Well, I mean, yes, Michigan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Betsy DeVos, who right. you know, basically eviscerated many school systems there with their great ideas for charter schools. So I, I think big corporations, there's a handful, they want control of the public education system, just like they've been able to take control of the prison system, just like they've been able to take control of elements of the U.S. military. They want control of the public schools. And, and there's lots of ways they're trying to do that. That's my biggest concern. Well, when I was teaching, what, what, they brought in a television system that, that the kids would watch a bit of news every morning. That, that was feeding them candy bar commercials in order to get free televisions into every every classroom. I, I, that that started back in the yeah. 90s. Yeah. Hmm. You know, I mean, TV has been around and indoctrination has been around for a long, long time. And from, from since the... You were, since you were a kid in the 20s. That's correct. <laughs> you know, and, 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 and the indoctrination of the 50s, you know, the children ended up with the children of the 60s. Yep. And yep. so I, I just... Duck and cover. Yeah, I just, I just can't... I can't get all that riled up about the sideshow. Yeah, but and that's what we spent four years doing with Trump. But can you get riled up about wood lice, a cabbage <laughs> loaf, cabbage no loafers, and renegade squirrels invading your garden? Because oh, that's I'm what, riled. You're I'm riled. riled. Okay. That's what we're going to talk about next. And now that, that sounds trivial compared to what's happened to our public schools. But if you're growing your own food, you might be interested and what some folks are doing to deal with garden pests. Charles, thanks for joining us. <laughs> I can't believe you're not keeping me no, here for this we're segment. Getting you, we're getting rid <laughs> of you for this segment. You're gone. But Kathy's going to stick around, folks. We'll be back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. <laughs> Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online, and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time, Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week, with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Welcome back to our final segment on this week's Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. Appreciation for all of the local businesses and nonprofits who make this program possible, including our anchor sponsor, Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store and my grocery store. 
You can also now order your groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. Gateway's Cafe is open seven days a week for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service. And you can also use their catering and floral services at Gateway Marketing Cafe. So I'd like to welcome Kathy Burns to the program. She's with Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And we're going to discuss wood lice, lopers, and squirrels. Oh, my. Uh, yeah, to a gardener as frightening as lions, tigers, and bears were to uh, Dorothy and Toto. Um, so you, uh, we've been learning more about, we've, we've known a lot about squirrels for a long time, but we're learning more about wood lice. Well, not everybody calls them wood lice. And it's been a really wet, cool spring. Very and Irish-like. Very Irish, and here in, in central Iowa. Yes. And the wood lice seem to like it a lot. Now, I didn't ever know them as wood lice until you looked that up and saw that <laughs> name, uh, the singular being wood louse. Of course. Um, I, I called them pill bugs. And I used to call them roly polies, which is a fun name as well. They have lots of different names. I, I looked up some of the names. Bibble bug, chisel hog, <laughs> palmer worm, monkey pea. P-E-A, like the little fruit pea, Chuggy Pig, Roly Poly, Johnny Grump, and Slater. That is insane. (laughs) And they're actually not even bugs. They're not even bugs. They're they're crustaceans. They're like shrimp. They're like tiny. They're like tiny. Well, they originated in marine life, and then they evolved to to be uh, land creatures. And that's why during that evolution, there there ended up to be more than 3,500 different kinds of wood lice out there so um and they're mostly good right yeah we because we've never paid any attention to them before uh they might nibble a bit of a top of a radish if you pick up a a clay pot and it's damp underneath you'll see them kind of crawling around they're those little gray oval bugs that are about half the size of your your little pinky um fingernail or maybe maybe full size and, Depends uh, on your pinky. And they kind of roll up if you touch them. But uh, never paid any attention to them except to think, ooh, I really don't want those crawling up my shorts. But <laughs> but, but uh, they're nibbling way more this year yeah. than they used to. And that's why well, they've they, called attention yeah, to themselves. Yeah, they've been nibbling on the artichoke stalks. They like, apparently they like, they like tender leaves. New, you know, new seedlings, and they like um, and they like strawberries. And we also discovered they like the uh, top parts of radishes. Yeah. But, you know, I, they have this important function. I mean, they're really essential to decomposition. So we've been in a bind. How do we deal with them? Well, one thing is diatomaceous earth. Mm-hmm. Another is... Well, that, that actually would, would kill them. So yeah, we, it kills we them. So deplete their population, I should say. Yeah. Well, yeah. And the problem with diatomaceous earth is it's kind of indiscriminate. It'll kill bees as well. Yeah, we try not to use it as well, any yeah. more than necessary. But the um, there's an innovative uh, approach to dealing with them from a uh, a British farmer using basically yogurt like those plastic quart-sized yogurt containers. We have a lot of those. Yeah, and we put a bunch of those out. And well, they, they work put, pretty well. You put a little slit in the bottom just to drain a little water, not Tiny too big slit. a hole. Then you dug a little pit for the container so that the top of the container hits ground level. Mm. And then what you did, you put a little dirt at the bottom, but left the sides slick, clean, so that if they fall in there, they can't climb back out. But then there's another clever... uh, Well, I was surprised at how many we had in there. 
There were. I mean, there were hundreds, <laughs> you know. But they had to be covered up a little bit. We oh, put yeah. some sticks on the top and then put a, a stone or a, a flat rock or something on top so that they don't get sunlight. Because they, they crawl they, in there. They like it dark, so you keep it dark in there. Yeah. And maybe one reason the uh, the traps were so appealing to the woodlice out in our artichoke plot is because the artichoke plot is under a, a, a very strong street lamp. That's right. And so this created a dark space. Yeah, there were a lot of them in there. Yeah. And, um, well, one, one piece of advice is you can put them in your compost pile, relocate them to where they can do you some use. Did you see if the chickens liked them? Um, they didn't make it as far as the compost pile because, yes, the chickens liked them. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, then they go to some use. <laughs> so that's go good. That's good. Yeah. I'm fine with that. Um, yeah. Some people put them in, they keep them as pets in terrariums. That is just weird. <laughs> that is just, I mean, I can think of a lot of weird things I've done. That beats them all. <laughs> Wood lice as pets in a terrarium. Well, the, the the website I looked at suggested go ahead and make a little terrarium, put in a few, make sure you give them a little something to nibble, a couple of leaves, but then let them go after you've observed them and studied them. And that's that's good. If you're interested okay. in... in do, do they give in, them, if they're pets, do they give them names like Woody or... I don't <laughs> Lysy. know. Lysy. Lysy, yeah. Dirty Lucy. Louse. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, we're also dealing with, as we do every year, uh, cabbage lopers. Mm-hmm. Cabbage right. moths, depending on which phase of life they're in. Right. Uh, the moths are, uh, well, the, the larva is called a lope, it's spelled looper, L-O-O-P-E-R, because it arches its back when it crawls, um, the little the little worms that, that the moths produce. We and tend to call them loper for some reason. I thought it was because they kind of, I don't know. Lope but, along? Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's the it's the um, worm that eats the plant, the the Moth doesn't really do anything. Lazy it's eggs. Lazy eggs. Yeah. And so, I think a moth can lay, I don't know, I didn't double check this statistic, 40 viable eggs a day. That doesn't seem like very many. I wish our hens would lay 40 viable eggs a day. Yeah. <laughs> we would only need one. No, I know. We'd need, we need <laughs> half a hen. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, the, uh, the my, my preferred method of dealing with lopers is to go out to the plants every day and just keep an eye on them and... Uh, squash the worms as I find them before they mm. do too much damage. But actually, my preferred form of entertainment is to watch Kathy catch them with a butterfly net when they're still in the uh, moth phase. <laughs> I, I've i been <laughs> running around the yard with a butterfly net trying to catch these white moths that, that go around, and somebody will walk their dog past, and I look like one of those old-fashioned dog catchers, and I think they think I'm after their dog. Or, them, or they just think you're nuts. One or the other will do. But it's entertaining to watch. What's not so entertaining is squirrels. I mean, I know some people love to watch squirrels. If That's probably, though, if, you, if you're raising food, I can't imagine you really like squirrels. We don't. They're really destructive. Some people say, and this is very kind of them, they say, just raise enough so the squirrels can have some and you can have some. However, we, we, don't, we don't do this as a hobby. We do this to feed ourselves and to teach other people to grow some food to feed themselves. This really is the way we eat. We grow about half of the food that we eat in our yard, and so we can't really be divvying it out to squirrels willy-nilly. So um, I, I just really um, kind of wish people... You know, wouldn't encourage the squirrel population by feeding them the cute little things out of the back, back, the back door. Well, part of the, you know, and they, they do this. They, they love to um, scoop into the uh, strawberry bed and eat the best strawberries. We're trying um, to deter that this year. They'll eat the Juneberries. They'll eat uh, tomatoes as well. Um, but the worst thing, for, in my mind, the worst thing squirrels do is they dig into the ground, mm -hmm. either looking for or burying nuts. And when they do that, they dislodge seedlings. And so if there's a gap in a row of carrots, for example, it's probably because a squirrel got in there and 
and dug away and dislodged the seeds. Yep. It's yeah. because sometimes when you put your seedling in, you leave a little kind of looser dirt, and they yeah. think, oh, there must be a, something tasty under there. It's an easy place for me to dig. So, yeah, we, get, we have little, you know, ways of dealing with squirrels. I mean, one thing to do is to you know, use, the, use a live trap and then bring them to um, a beautiful squirrel colony in a wooded area. They uh, love that. <laughs> or when we have with our strawberries, Kathy's rigged up a, a, um, a, a kind of a chicken wire net over them. Well, we should say that we are growing strawberries on a seven-foot fence in gutters with soil in them, yeah. so vertical growing. And last year, the squirrels just ran along that fence and then just popped down to get a strawberry and ran off so happy. And this year, we're trying some chicken wire over it. The challenge is to be able to not position the chicken wire so it deters your uh, picking uh, you got to get your hand in there to pick. So it's a new system, and we'll probably report later on how yeah, that's Yeah, and they and the squirrels love to eat the juneberries as well. I mean, we have uh, two juneberry trees. Well, we didn't get many juneberries from those trees because, well, combination of squirrels and birds. Juneberries. Uh, some people will know those as service berries or shadbush. Shadberries, I think. Shadberries. Also, yeah. Or, so um, there's another name that I can't remember. Anyway, there's plenty of pests out there, and you know, I mean, part of the philosophy is okay. It's okay that they eat some of it. It's okay that they eat some of the foliage, even some of the produce. You know, we, we, we're okay with that. But a small percentage, please, please a, share. A berry or two. <laughs> They'll get Sorry. the blackberries, too, by the way, know, the squirrels and birds. Yeah. So we try, to, we, we try to tolerate some of it, but not enough where we see a big drop in our crop. Anyway, Kathy, thanks for joining us. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us, folks. Uh, I want to thank Kathy Burns and Charles Goldman, our guests today in the program. And thanks to our business partners as well, Gateway Marketing Cafe, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, and our nonprofit partners, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Thanks to Brother Trucker for our bumper music. And thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina and Kathy Burns. Please subscribe to the Fallon Forum, if you would like, on Stitcher or Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast platform. And you can follow the Fallon Forum on Facebook and also sign up for my weekly blog on the Fallon Forum website. Thanks again for tuning in today, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host, saying have a great week from Des Moines Heartland.